Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Those of you that have been with us for some weeks now, we've been walking our way, working and walking our way through the book of Ephesians. I'm continuing on in that work today. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 to 20. My name's Jason. I'd love to meet you after the service if, you, if you're new or visiting. Um, and so to begin, I think I'll pray, shall I? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've seen to it that we can know you through what's been handed down to us from all the, all the prophets, all the early church fathers, uh, and all the writings on your, on your word and, and through your word that have been committed to paper since then. I thank you, Lord, for all of that knowledge that you've seen fit to, to reveal to us. Father, help us to understand uh, today. Help us to hear your voice for us and for the church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. I'm going to read through real quick. And then we'll get into it. Where's my text? Here we go. All right. So now I'm going to actually start right at the end of chapter four. It's not on the screen, but you will catch up when I start into chapter five. And the reason I'm doing that is because the first part of chapter five actually references the last part of chapter four. So here we go. Ephesians 4 verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And now um, Ephesians 5 verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alrighty, so um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, just a, a bit of a quick recap, a bit of context. Was written in around about um, AD 60, 61. So we're talking 30 years after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. And it was written while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. <clears throat> um, Paul had previously visited the city of Ephesus near the end of his second missionary journey, and, and, and he had a longer visit during his third journey. So Ephesus is, not falling off the stage, right there on the west coast of modern-day Turkey, on the eastern side of the Aegean Sea. So, yeah, it's a bit small, but right in there on the, on the bottom corner of, of modern-day Turkey. Um, and you'll recall that it was the place where the Temple of Artemis was, and this is where Demetrius, the silversmith, caused Paul and his team so much chaos. Um, Ephesus, it turns out, was an ancient city, even when Paul was around. Um, it, it had probably been a thousand years since that city was founded, when Paul visited. And that is pretty amazing. And even Ephesus was built on the ruins of an even older city. When I was looking at this and I was thinking, yeah, well, you know, it seems like a long time since Jesus walked the earth. You know, and I tend, because of my anachronistic position, I tend to think that history kind of started then and it's been ages since, right? So we're in the 21st century now. But think about that, that when Paul visited Ephesus, it was already a thousand years old and it was built on the city, on the ruins of a city that was even more ancient. So we're talking about some pretty well-established uh, I guess, cultures and peoples that Paul was working with there in Ephesus. So like their letter to the Romans, Ephesians was not written so much to address problems in a particular church. He wasn't writing like he was to, say, the Galatians. Uh, but rather it was written to explain some of the great themes and doctrines of Christianity. However, unlike the letter to the Romans, which focuses on God's work in individual Christians, Ephesians really covers God's work in the church and the community of believers. All right, so moving on. Ephesians verses 1 and 2, walking in love. There's a really short section at the start of Ephesians 5. As I mentioned, it was referring to the end of chapter 4 because it starts off where it's, it's in the middle there. It says, follow God's example, therefore, right? So we're talking about what was just said, really finishing off what Paul was talking about. So the core precept here is to imitate God as a loved child will imitate his or her parent. And for us, the believers, the, the, the body of Jesus, this is only the highest standard in all of creation. Act like the divine. Clement of Alexandria even boldly claimed that the wise, true Christian practices being God. So practice being God, everybody. Not in a Bruce Almighty kind of way, just, you know, in, in attitudes and actions. All right, yeah, good. Um, Notice this is a real doing word. It's not just a knowing and understanding word. This is not just something you know and kind of like, all right, I'll, I'll just continue living my life. But this is about taking it on and actually acting it out. It's a doing, a doing thing. And this is one of the concepts that the Greeks could really understand. So um, the, the teachers, the Greek teachers of rhetoric declared that the learning of oratory depended on three things, theory, imitation, and practice. And so Imitation implies action. When the one moves, the other moves. What The way the one acts, the other acts. And Paul's essentially saying, since you're training in life, you should imitate the Lord of all good living. 
And Jesus himself endorses this in John 5.19. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. All right, moving on. Ephesians 5 verses 3 to 7, I've called this the contrast. So now we've just finished talking about how Christians should relate to each other. Now we're going to talk about how um, we should relate to the world around us. And Paul goes on to describe what we must avoid, especially in a strongly pagan city like Ephesus, where curses, spells, love charms, warding off the evil eye, demon possession, these are just everyday events. Um, in a strongly pagan city. They are everyday, daily parts of the, of the lives of the inhabitants. So n- note the language there. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. All right? This is one of those things where, you know, Jesus himself says, it's better for you to gouge out your own eye than to put up with this kind of behaviour in your lives. So, you know, um, I guess when I read this and I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, gee, I, I need to be careful even what I laugh at. You know, maybe, you know, I'm at sport or I'm at work and there's some talk in the lunchroom or on the field. You know, it's um, Paul is saying it's incumbent on me and it's incumbent on you to be mindful of who you represent. And what you're willing to overlook, really. This is where, this is where Paul's going here. And, and obviously, you know, Paul's talking about a very pagan place and a very evil city. That's not too far away from where we are today, quite frankly, in many ways. And so Paul is really focusing on encouraging the Ephesians to be an example. So he cautions against the gross acts of sin, but also against what you may be inclined to make light of and perhaps be willing to overlook. So don't, we don't joke about that which required Jesus to submit to death on the cross. And I want to dig a little deeper into verse 5 at this point. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul here is talking about people who still struggle. He's not talking, sorry. He is not talking about people who still struggle with these things from time to time, which is all of us but for those for whom they are a way of life, those for whom they are what they live for and worship with their time, their money and their effort. For the Christian, these should be princip- we should be principally focused, these areas in our life should be principally focused on God. In the interest of avoiding empty words, this is serious. And if at this time the Spirit has brought to mind something that you, that you continue to struggle with, then I urge you to find someone you trust and confess it to them. And we'll get more into that in a minute. You must not continue in this because it will sap your life and testimony of power. Just to finish off, there's some close similarities between this section and the following passage in Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. See how Paul characterizes the fruit of sin in terms not only of actions but of words, i.e. slander, obscene talk, and thought. Anger, wrath, malice, thoughts, words, and actions comprise all the output of a person, and in all areas we must seek to be pure. 
All right, next section I've called From Darkness to Light which is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. Paul's going for a strong metaphor here. He doesn't say Christians are like a light, but that we are light, children of light. This is our new nature. It's what characterizes our new family, our new tradition. Now, we've, in our family, we've been, we've been very keen to build traditions, and we have traditions at Christmas, and we might have traditions about where we go on holidays or what we do on holidays. These are all part of family tradition. Well, let me tell you, our new family tradition is to be light, is to be characterised by light. This light produces good fruit, goodness, righteousness and truth. And that, that truth word there is not just something to be, again, grasped and understood. This is the doing kind of truth. This is the moral truth. This is the truth that acts out in your life. And I'm sure it's your experience that good, strong light, especially for those of us who have steadily failing vision, can bring out all the detail and all the imperfections of that which it falls upon. And not because it seeks to wound or embarrass deliberately, but because it can't help but show things as they are. It's the Christian's duty to likewise expose every action, every decision and every motive to the light of Christ. The light exposes and identifies that which is evil. And the best way to combat evil is to drag it into the light. So long as the thing is being done in secret, it goes on. But when it's taken into the light of day, it withers. The surest way to cleanse the depths of our own hearts and the practices of any society in which we happen to be involved is to expose them to the light of Christ, which is why before I mentioned that we really need to get into this habit of confessing to each other those struggles because as long as they stay hidden we're not going to get help with the light right so this section in verse 14 uh, wake up sleeper rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you uh, is almost certainly to Paul and the original readers of this letter uh, a well-known verse or song perhaps an early church hymn and I'm kind of thinking of it as something they had in common maybe it was something that Paul taught them when, when he visited and they sang it together and he's invoking their fellowship which, which I really like. It, it kind of also talks about this shining of the light of Christ on the sleeper, driving out the spirit of this world and replacing it with that of Christ. Okay, next section, um, this next little passage from verses 15 to 20, I've called Be Wise. And Paul finishes this section with an exhortation to live as those who are wise. He talks about it in terms of us as shrewd business people buying up opportunities. We see a a plot of land, we buy it and we sell it for a profit. He's talking about buying opportunities and then selling them for a profit in glory, okay? Um, To get a payoff for the kingdom and to maximise Jesus' glory. And I'm sure to the fledgling church in Ephesus in AD 60, and across the world for that matter, it was clear that they lived among vile practices and peoples. And in some ways, the same is true today. Like I said before, the days are evil, or perhaps these are evil days. It still works. And we must rescue as much time as we can from the evil aims of the world around us. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. An understanding of the will of God and a care to conform with it and follow it describes the best and truest wisdom. It's a proper understanding of reality and living in such a way as to respect it. Now, I'm not going to deviate into a discussion about discerning what God's will is for you, although I will say that I think 
At its base, God wills that we're all conformed to the likeness of his divine son. And therefore, that we continue to act out, that we continue to characterise him, that we continue to look and sound like him in everything we do wherever we go, that we act as light and that we are obviously wise with respect to our context, our our society. Verse 18 appears to be at once uh, a recognition and a repudiation of what was probably a common aspect of pagan worship at the time. Being drunk on wine with no ability to discern wisdom from foolishness or any sense to avoid sin. Rather, we are to be filled and constantly filled with the Spirit. And I really like this last exhortation to be uh, to speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this bit because, you know, I can get quite choked up when I'm singing sometimes and I really feel like this is a blessing actually even though it embarrasses me from time to time I feel it's a blessing to me from the spirit that he's kind of stirring something up in me and I and I often wistfully think I wonder what it'll be like to talk to each other in heaven you know when we're when we've got our redeemed bodies and we're in God's presence I don't know if anyone's read the last battle the 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 final story in the Narnia series some of you have um in it, C.S. Lewis describes how when they, when they finally uh, enter God's country, they, they just want to run everywhere because they don't get tired. And, and they're all kind of, why wouldn't you run everywhere if you didn't get tired? You know, it's just so much more fun than walking. I kind of feel like singing will be much more fun than speaking or, or speaking in prose. How, how fun would that be? Anyway, I think this is the spirit that Paul is tapping into. Anyway, I'll leave that with you. You don't have to agree. That's not from the text. All right, so in conclusion... My big ideas from Ephesians 5 verses 1 to 20. The first is follow and imitate God in all things as dearly loved children. Make this your first duty. Number two, be different in the world. In your relationships, hold to the highest standards. Not because you have to in order to be saved, but because it is your new nature to please God. Not yourself and not necessarily those around you. Number three, expose evil in the world by your attitudes, your words, and your deeds. This is the light section. This is about you being light. And this should happen as a result of your determination to offer a pleasing sacrifice to God. And lastly, be wise. Be wise and make the most of every opportunity. And sing your hearts out. So we have been talking throughout the month of September, and if this is your first time here, FYI, we've been talking through the month of September of missions, and missions that our church here at the chapel supports. We've talked about Compassion, Horizon, and we've heard from Eye Openers today. We support Brucey faithfully in India. And these are incredible not-for-profit organizations that go into impoverished countries with the message of Jesus and wanting to display his heart, which is great. And for some of us who are familiar with church would know that churches are supposed to be doing this and trying to meet needs for people. But if those anyone here who's new to church or maybe just new to who is this Jesus, this... Um, is actually a biblical response um, to what Jesus's mission was all about. This is actually scriptural and based on scripture. And so today, I thought it would be great for us to drill down about what that mission is about 
and what that means for us before I do that. But I'm just going to go ahead and pray for us really, really fast. So God, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. I just, I pray that you'd speak to your children today, that you would just take away anything that I say that is not from you and that you would allow for your message to speak. God, draw us closer to you and your heart, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd have your way. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So throughout my life, I've had several different missions as I've gotten older. From a young girl, my only mission was like, can I have my cousins sleep over? Right? It's like, sleepovers! And can I go to a friend's house during the week for dinner? I don't know why that was like such a big deal, but those were like pivotal moments of memory. And then that transitioned to how late can I stay up and how many movies in a row can I watch before falling asleep? To then transitioning to where are all the girls who are like best friend bracelets and necklaces with a heart that like matches? Yeah. It's such a thing, right? And finding who's your bestie and who's your best friend. And then to like, oh my gosh, boys are so gross. Boys drool, girls rule. And then thinking, oh my gosh, girls are just so much drama. I'm going to hang out with all the boys. Yeah. So we go through all these different seasons and changes, going to, to sport, having that be all about your life, then graduating high school, then going to college, then maybe it's finding a spouse, then maybe it's focusing on you know, um, having a, a big girl, big boy job and going out into the world, which some of you are embarking upon, which is all exciting and amazing and really, really good things. But all of those trajectories, again, though okay and understandable for our season, do not have a biblical mission of producing fruit and good work in our life. And so when I met Jesus, Jesus's mission collided with mine and Jesus's mission became my mission. And I would guess that this would be the same for most of you here in this room today. Jesus's mission collided with your mission and now we're all on the same mission together. And so as Christians, we're not meant to have a butt in the seat ministry, okay? That is why we have these metal chairs in 830, because they're not comfortable, okay? <laughs> you got to get up. And that's why we have the nice lounges for those who can just sit and relax and not do anything. Right, Benny Skews? Yes. Amen. And so living on mission actually has a framework for our life of what those non-negotiables look like, which I'll be talking a little bit about today. And so Romans 8, 5 to 6, it says this. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And so my mind um, was and still does, let's be real, get stuck on the flesh. And I can lose track of being on mission and doing the things that Jesus would ask me to do. But when my mind and your mind is governed by the spirit, we can pursue his mission here on this earth because the mission isn't over. And so until Jesus comes back, which is the title of this message, there is more to be said, there's more to be seen, and there's more to be done. And for some of us, that sounds exhausting, but actually Jesus equips us and gives us the strength to do that. And so where we're going to read from in scripture this morning is found in Luke um, chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. And Jesus has just been tempted in the desert by Satan. 
And he's going around Galilee and he's preaching the good news. And then he finally comes to his hometown, Nazareth. And there's some context a bit about what he's speaking about. He's actually fulfilling scripture, but he's reading from Isaiah 61. And it says this, it says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so the first point that I want to make this morning is that mission starts with the Holy Spirit. Mission starts with the Holy Spirit. This passage doesn't say, because my college degree sits upon me, then I can go and bring good news to the poor. No, it says because of the Holy Spirit, it equipped Jesus to go and do the things that his father in heaven told him to do here on this earth. It's because of God's spirit that he was anointed. The spirit of the Lord was said to be resting on Jesus. And two of my really good friends and Benny's dad, Amy Collins and Sarah Gollin, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and they were telling me something about what their dad said. And, and, and their dad said this, he said, the Holy Spirit isn't weak, but he's sensitive. And so what we speak and what we listen to and what we think about and what we do impacts how we hear the Holy Spirit. And so when we are attuned to the Holy Spirit, we are in alignment with God's mission on the earth. And it helps empower us to do what Jesus says, says that we should do. Galatians 5.25 says that since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the Spirit helps us to keep in step. And that same powerful Spirit that was resting on Jesus, Scripture says was given to me and to you. We read in 2 Corinthians 21 verse, sorry, chapter 1 verse 21 to 22. It says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. It says he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us to put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And so it says the Holy Spirit has anointed you, Susie. He's anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He's anointed you, Angela, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He has anointed you, Mitch, to rec for recovery of sight to the blind. He's anointed you, Amy, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the, years, um, the Lord's favor. And so the Holy Spirit is the qualification that we need in order to be empowered in the mission of God. But sometimes we go our own way because... It just happens and we're human, unfortunately. But be certain that he will be there to remind us and bring to remembrance all that he has said to us, which is what scripture says. And the thing about Jesus is though that I'm hopping back and forth, you know that Katy Perry song, which I'm not Pastor Braun, so I don't like to sing on the microphone. Wait, you're hot, then you're cold. You're yes, then you're no. You're in, then you're out. You're up, then you're down. You're wrong when it's right. It's black when it's right right? It's like this back and forth song that she's singing about being here, being there, up and down everywhere. Jesus's mission is the same. It's been the same mission 2,000 years ago. And I don't know about you, but that brings me comfort in a world and in a season as a young mom where everything just does not have control. And I am all over the place that the mission of Jesus is something that won't change. It won't change. And this mission is alive and it's at work and it's not done. 
And so why should we do this? Why should we do this? So the late Tim Keller explains this. He said, if you are indifferent to somebody, then their happiness is at the expense of your happiness. But when you love someone, their happiness is your happiness. It's a joy to make them happy. And so when we have indifference to the King Jesus, it leads us to heartless compliance to oblige. But when we admire King Jesus, it leads us to generous, generous actions aimed at a shared joy because his joy is my joy. His joy is my joy. We can have shared joy in the mission of Jesus because we admire the king, not out of heartless obligation, compliance to obligation. And so the second thing that I want to highlight is that the mission is always about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus and not about us. And so there's a um, picture that I'll put up behind me, and that is a simple explanation of the gospel. And the gospel is how you and I have pretty well gotten here. And John Piper writes that the greatest good of the gospel is actually not forgiveness, justification, or eternal life, as good as they are. The highest, fullest, sweetest good of the gospel is God himself. It's God himself being enjoyed by his redeemed people. Beautiful. The gospel is the good news that God bought for us so we can everlasting, everlastingly, is that a word? Everlastingly enjoy him. Great. It's not about what the things he does for us, but that we can love him. And so David Moore, that we heard about this morning, he's an ophthalmologist. He helps people to see. And so he goes into India and he uses and outworks the gift that God has given him to bring good news quite literally to the poor, to quite literally bring sight to the blind so that others can be set free and to know and love God himself. So being an eye doctor is his avenue, but his mission is Jesus. His mission is Jesus. And so what is your avenue to bring mission? And do you know that you have one? And are you treating it as such? Because the outworking is within your avenue, whether you're a student or employee, working parent, stay-at-home parent, not just for a pastor or a title of a pastor, because all of y'all can be pastors. We can all be missionaries right here where we are, as well as overseas. Different avenues, one mission, Jesus. With the Holy Spirit resting on you, having it be all about Jesus, and the third thing is that the mission is always for people. It is heaven's currency, people everywhere, including you and including me. And so um, people, they matter to God. And Jesus spent his whole ministry going to the poor, going to the oppressed, going to those who were in bondage. The type of people that he went to were considered the lowest of low, the poor, people that had issues, people that had stuff going on, people who had done terrible things, people who were spiritually blind, poor in spirit. And might I add his attitude was out of compassion and love, and with a mission to bring freedom and deliverance. He didn't do so reluctantly. Oh, here's that person again. Oh, they've got so many issues, issues. Checking my watch, when are they gonna be done, right? That's not how he went about it. That person's in need, I'm gonna go there. I can meet their need because of the Holy Spirit. 
and I, have Je- and I have Jesus to bring them. And so the thing about the poor and those who have issues, they're, re- they're more readily available to seek treasures in heaven. This is a commentary that I had um, because of their lack. And so I just want to remind somebody here this morning that if you have lack, good. You're not meant to have it all. <laughs> because if we did, that might be the greatest thing that God is using so that you depend on him and you can seek his treasures in heaven because riches fill our minds with pride, self-complacency, and the gospel is just not needed. And so Jesus preaching to the poor actually shows the greatest success of the gospel and the fulfillment of who Jesus was. Because if the gospel was of man, you bet, where would they be preaching? To the rich. Where would they be preaching? To the successful and the powerful. And God is not like that. God seeks to do, to do good to those whom our world overlooks and despises. And this isn't just overseas, though it is wonderful. There are people everywhere, people um, who are under our own nose, who are sitting at your table, who are in our congregation. People have an opportunity, we have an opportunity everywhere we go to bring Jesus wherever. And so the last thing that I want to point us to is that effective mission acknowledges need, acknowledges need. And so we learn something because compassion, they need, they need to actually admit that they're a poor country. They go into these countries and they have to say, hey, we're poor. We need help. And these parents have to say, I can't feed my kid. I don't have enough. Can you help me? And, and eye-openers, they have to say, I don't have the, the space to actually treat people medically. I want to see. Can you help me see? And so the thing that they're doing is they're acknowledging their need. And so we can learn something from that. The poor and the blind can give us great wisdom in our own life and in the mission that Jesus wants to carry through to us, because we live in that upside down kingdom, we can actually look to their example and we can understand the posture of what it means to put our hands up and express our need before Jesus. Because being in need isn't a weakness, but it's actually room for Christ to begin the work if we let him, because he can actually set us free. He can set us free. And so I hope today that you are reminded that the mission of Jesus, it isn't finished. It isn't finished. Jesus' mission is in you, and it's working through you. And there's more to be said, and there's more to be seen, and there's more to be done. And you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. May that mission be all about Jesus and for his people. And so before I end, I just want to acknowledge this isn't just simple, right? It's hard. It's not always easy, but it's possible. And we can start where we're at with what we have. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.